At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Shout out the postseason, baby. Game one of the wild card. All four wild card games in action today. They start at what? They start at noon and then they go through probably 11, 11.30 p.m. depending on when Padres Mets wraps up. Jack, Peter, Aram, here's our goal. All three of us are going to want to get on pretty much every episode uh, throughout this entire postseason, throughout the whole month. And as we get into the first couple of days of November, if schedules don't allow, then you'll get any assortment of the two of us. But this is the first of us trying to be on every episode this month. And it starts with some ASOFs, which is going to be absolutely phenomenal, and some stuff mixed in between there. Um, We also just dropped just baseball's all minor league team. First time we did that, myself, Aram, and one of the new writers, Christian Crespo, kind of joined heads on that and and brought it to light. So I know Peter was fascinated by it, so he wants to grill us about that. Happy postseason, everybody. Is there a better way to get going than Shane McClanahan and Shane Bieber in Cleveland? Not even a little bit. I'm so excited for the Guardians race. Like This is one of the most interesting series that we have, I think, over the entire playoffs. Uh, but no, there is no better way to get started than Shane Bieber than Shane McClanahan. I'm just excited to talk about all the games, Arm. Yeah, we also kind of got a little bit more clarity on what some of these postseason rotations may look like. So that's going to be fun to break down. I know even just yesterday's episode alone, we were speculating on some of them. So it's cool to see some of that there. And Tower Glass now looks like he's going to get the start. So that should be interesting as we, we talk about some of the other matchups. But focusing just on most of the game ones. I love wild card day, I guess, because it's just games the whole freaking day from 12 to eight. And, and I do feel bad for, 
you know, people that that do have jobs that they cannot sneak away and watch that. And, and that's the tough part about this whole thing. Uh, but we will be breaking it all down if you do miss the game to hit on all the important things that you may have missed. Yeah, big problem is we get going at noon and then you got first pitch at noon, two, four, and eight. Shouldn't it be like one, four, six, and nine? Should be like three, five, seven, and nine. Yeah, something like that. The noon first pitch is going to be weird, but it feels a lot like the first round of the NCAA tournament where, you know, it's yeah. kind of you're at school or you're at work. Yeah. But you're mostly not really at school or at work. The amount of times that I saw people with the NCAA tournament queued up on their laptop <laughs> uh, during like yeah. college classes was just yeah. through the roof. So, oh, that was um, the high school. That was my MO. Yeah, that was everybody's MO. Uh, but we'll start with the all MILB team. And Peter, you run point on this one because uh, Arm and I with with Christian put this thing together. We had a blast putting it together. And uh, I, I think our big takeaway was there is just an insane amount of talent not in Major League Baseball right now. And there are some guys that had utterly insane seasons that we wanted to highlight. First, second, third team. We did Every position, including three outfielders, we did a DH, uh, and we did five pitchers per team as well, so 15 total pitchers. I'm down to go through it. I love doing this with you guys because, like I said, it's harder to find two better people to talk about the minor leagues with, and I'm always trying to be my Chris Paul. You know, I was compared to Ricky Rubio in the last episode. I think that was blatant (laughs) disrespect. I'd almost compare myself to, like, a John Stockton with my assisting. Um, yeah, so we'll go with that white guy. Perfect. Honestly, yeah. Scrawny white guy. So I want to start, especially because if on YouTube, we're trying out something new, let us know in the comments where you like this a little bit more visually appealing, you know, to all those visual learners out there. I personally am a visual learner. I like it in front of me or else it gets too difficult for me. So for all those on YouTube, leave us with a comment. Let us know what you're enjoying about this and on audio, get over to YouTube. Why not? Why not us? First team catcher and Rodriguez for the Pittsburgh Pirates so this was the just baseball minor league player of the year on the offensive side we've talked about any Rodriguez at length at this point you could see it right there the kind of year that he had he had over 300 he slugged almost 600 had plenty of extra base hits I want to know more about who was considered in this because we've talked already at length about Andy Rodriguez like arm who else was considered yeah, Logan Ohapi made a had a pretty good case in this thing. You know, I mean, Logan Ohapi of the LA Angels was traded over uh, from the Philadelphia Phillies for Brandon Marsh, and that was somebody that every every aspect of the game. I mean, he was phenomenal. He hit really well. He's always been a good bat to ball guy. Tapped into more power. He's a great defender. I think he's one of the most well rounded, if not the most well rounded catcher in the minor leagues. And uh, number 26 in our top 100 for good reason. Ohapi was very much considered here, but ultimately when you are the minor league player of the year offensively, uh, that guy's going to end up taking the catcher spot. But if, if anybody other than Andy, you know, was there, I think Ohapi easily, you know, could have been that, that first team catcher. Jack. Um, I know that arm kind of was on the Andy Rodriguez is the minor league hitter of the year. Were you on that same breath? It's hard not to be. Yeah, yeah, he was an Indianapolis Indian, so I'm going to have bias there. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I Andy was a freak, dude. He had a 997 OPS, which was just utterly insane. 
Um, and, and he's a great defensive catcher too. So our second team guy was Logan Ohapi. I figure we could probably work like position by position, right? And give you first, second, third team uh, at each position. Cause you got I'm Andy not. as the first teamer. Um, you got Logan Ohapi as the second teamer. And then our third team catcher was Bo Naylor, who I, I know that, you know, you started to dive a little bit more into Peter, but uh, Naylor was also utterly phenomenal this year. I mean, three fantastic catchers. Uh, Rodriguez did not get up. He should get up a couple months into next season, but Logan Ohapi and Bo Naylor made very late debuts and they're going to be probably the starting catcher for the Angels and the Guardians, respectively, opening day next year. And it kind of makes sense that the Guardians didn't go after um, a guy like Sean Murphy at the trade deadline. I mean, when you look at um, the Guardians as a whole, you know, they usually don't like to spend and they don't like to trade any of their big guys, especially when you have a catcher like Bo Naylor sitting in the minor leagues who already made his debut with the Guardians. Do you guys think we're going to see Bo Naylor in the playoffs? Um, I know the rosters have come out. I don't think he was on it, um, but he's definitely going to be a piece for next year for the Guardians. He's not on it, right? No. I wish we would have saw him. I wish. It, it, I was surprised they didn't call him up sooner. I think they wanted to you know, reinforce some of the swing adjustments that he's made because he really did make some major swing adjustments this year that have really helped him. Um, ultimately, he's going to be the starting catcher for them next year. I, I'm sure Austin Hedges has his role. He's never going to not catch, you know, just because he's basically Jeff Mathis now. Uh, but Bo Naylor is a guy that rakes for them. He can catch too. He had 20 stolen bases also. I mean, this is one of the most athletic catchers you're going to find. I mean, just look at the stat line across. 263, 392, 496. 21 homers, 20 stolen bases. You don't see very many catchers go 20-20. JT Romuto just did it in the big leagues for the first time since Pudge Rodriguez in 1999, I believe. And Bo Naylor just did it in the minor leagues. Pretty darn impressive. And he was so good defensively in that short little stint too. Looked really mature for his age. Let's move over to first base um, as our YouTube screen does a little bit of that was whooping. Weird. That was crazy. That was crazy. First base, um, with all due respect to Alfonso Rivas and Frank Schwindel, why wasn't Matt Mervis called up at the end of the at the end of the season in order to play first base for the Chicago Cubs? Give him that opportunity to play because it was harder to find a better hitter in the minor leagues than Matt Mervis. When you look at this number, which Arm is pulling up now, Arm, it's hard to find maybe a better hitter than Andy Rodriguez was, but Matt Mervis certainly came close. The dude hit almost 40 jacks and hit over 300 while flogging 600. Was Matt Mervis had to be in consideration for minor league hitter of the year. Oh, absolutely. A absolutely. And really, the, the only reason why he didn't was, I think the fact that Andy Rodriguez was able to, to do a little bit of everything in terms of you know getting on base, the average was slightly higher. And uh, But you look at what Matt Mervis did, just being able to climb three levels, 36 pumps, uh, as you mentioned, but also got better at every level, which was a really amazing part. In high A, he struck out mid-20% range, didn't walk much. Double A, strikeouts kind of dropped to the low 20%, walk rate rises. By triple A, his strikeout rate was sub-15%, and he's walking more than 10% of the time, all while mashing the ball at every single stop. Led the minor leagues with 78 extra base hits. The only reason we didn't see him in the big leagues is the Cubs were out of contention, and they have a 40-man roster crunch. Matt Mervis is not Rule 5 eligible until next year. So they said, hey, we're not going to self-impose an even further 40-man crunch. And they did not bring up Matt Mervis. Very unfortunate because he earned it. 40 doubles, 36 homers, 
18% K rate, and he drove in 119. Like, that's one of the best minor league seasons we've seen in a while. This guy was undrafted in 2020 shortened drafts. Jack, do you know why Alfonso Rivas seemed to be the answer at the end of the year over Matt Mervis? Do you have any idea? Yeah, it's uh, because Matt Mervis's clock has not started yet. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, that's kind of all I'll say on that front. Kyle Manzardo was our, <laughs> our second team first baseman, yeah. and uh, Hunter Goodman was our third team first baseman. Name that probably not a lot of people know is Hunter Goodman. Manzardo is, is somebody that Aram has sung his praises for Tampa Bay Rays first base prospect. He was a he was a wazoo guy drafted in the second round last year out of Washington State and just killed the ball in high A and double A. And then Hunter Goodman was a guy that just kind of snuck by everybody. He was uh, a, a COVID shortened draft pick, I want to say. Um, or no, he might have been last year at the University of Memphis for the Rockies. Yep. And, uh, you know, with, with all the appeal of Veen and Tovar and even a guy like Amador and a guy like Gabriel Hughes and how about Warming Bernabelle, Hunter Goodman had an 100 RBI season, which was phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Second base, um, as the ultimate point guard, it's it's my job to throw it over to you guys. And the way I'm going to throw it over to Arm first is, who the hell is that? Never heard of him before <laughs> in my life. I think that's a good way to kind of throw it over to you. Yeah. I don't even want to try and pronounce that first name. I, I assume the last name is Julian with the Minnesota Twins, and you look at the numbers, they speak for himself. But I think first on the docket is who is that? Edward Julien is uh, I a masher. The last day, bro. Great. He's <laughs> <laughs> a certified masher. Uh, the, the guy, you know, was overlooked. I talk a lot about prospects who get overlooked because they have defensive limitations. This is your classic example of that. But he just rakes. He raked on the cape when we saw him, and he just continues to rake. And uh, the Twins found another good bat here. They've done a good job uh, in recent years, the Twins have, finding these kind of underrated bats, developing these bats. And, and Julian just was so good in A this season for the entire season, right? This wasn't a college guy dominating high A and then was okay in double, and then the overall numbers look good. This guy was great in double all year long. And as you know, we mentioned the write-up here, walks a ton 19 percent walk rate got on base at a 441 clip i know jack loves this guy <laughs> i'm in love i love this dude he uh he was sensational at auburn I, I think he was flirting with or broke frank thomas's freshman home run record at auburn like there was something about julian being a being a quebec native going to auburn to play college baseball immediately piqued my interest and the fact that he had a 441 OBP in a, in a legitimate full season of double A ball was utterly insane. This guy is going to walk. He's going to hit bombs. He's going to steal some bases. Question is, where is he going to play defensively? But uh, that's a that's a deal with when he gets up there, I think. At least in the second base, I have heard and I do know both of the second team and third team, Connor Norby with the Baltimore Orioles, who is a prospect I know you guys especially really, really like. And then Jonathan Aranda, we've seen him in the big leagues already, and he sometimes hits leadoff for the Rays. I mean, the Rays, just they they do Ray things, and sometimes when they like your matchup, they'll hit you leadoff, or they'll hit you in the seven hole. They, they, the, the game plan is only known by the people in the Rays, but these are both two guys that you guys are in love with Jack, I'll go to you with Connor Norby because I know Arm could just talk about Jonathan Arana till the podcast is over. So what about <laughs> what about Connor Norby do you like so much? 
Yeah, I mean, Norby, like, he he unlocked this insane amount of power, man. I mean, 29 nukes, and uh, he had a lot more than three doubles, which is currently in the write-up, so I'll go back and, and handle that. But um, <laughs> he, had, he had something like 60 extra base hits this year. He was one of the best power guys in baseball, and that's a, a, a position where power is non-existent. So yeah. if Norby hits 30 homers in a minor league season, what does that mean? 25 in a major league season? If Norby's a 25-homer guy at second base, that's phenomenal, man. Yeah, uh, I think Baltimore's in a great, great, great spot. And uh, Aram, give your once-a-week Jonathan Aranda pitch. Yeah, again. yeah, I was saying, I was almost like itching a little bit. It's been a while since I've hyped up Aranda. Uh, you know, this, this dude just hits. I, it's one of those... Perfect examples of a guy that has hit at every single stop. But the big thing that stood out to me with Aranda this year is added the power. Yeah, I think he did a little bit of it last year, but has really added it this year. 20 home runs between triple and the big leagues. This is a guy that's always hit over 300. It was always a question of how much power. Now he's got the at least above average pop. He's going to be a good hitter for a very long time. Shortstop is so freaking loaded. I mean, <laughs> Gunnar Henderson, of course, is our first team guy with the Baltimore Orioles, but I'm sure, especially at looking through the rest of these guys, you really could have ranked them in any particular order, but I do agree with you guys. It had to be Gunner as the first team, but I think we can lump all these guys into one because it, we're really talking about some of the best overall prospects in the sport. That starts with Gunner Henderson, but on the second team, you got Jordan Lawler. Aram, what else do we have to say about Gunner Henderson? We talked about him on the top 100. He is just... You know what? We all know he's good at baseball. Let's talk about his looks. Because man, is that man handsome. Hot. Hot. Really really nice hair. Yeah, yeah, really nice hair. But he's a pretty good baseball player, right? Yeah, I think he's not bad. Um, You know, good year. Earned the first team spot. Number two overall prospect. uh, Raked in the big leagues. And I think that's pretty pretty good. With really nice hair uh, at the same time. When Gunnar Henderson is Adley Rutschman's age, can you imagine how good he's going to be? <laughs> Recycle it, man. It's, so, it's such a good joke. I think that's first coined by Foolish Baseball. I think he was really the first person to use that joke, and ever since then I've been using it nonstop. Did you see he deleted the uh, the Terran Vavra tweet? Foolish. Yes. No. And he put out a statement about tweeting it. No, what did he say? <laughs> he said it went too far or something. That's awesome. where he drew the line. That's where he drew the line. Jordan Lawler with the Arizona Diamondbacks seems to be, and we kind of debated between him and Marcelo Meyer uh, for the kind of between those two guys because they're always going to be intertwined because they were from the same draft. And even Marcelo, yeah. they were drafted like what? Jordan Lawler went one or two and Marcelo Meyer went four or something like that. I mean, these guys are going to be intertwined forever. But Marcelo yeah, so, Meyer makes their second team. Yeah, so Meyer was was. Four and Lawler was six, right? Or something like that, yeah. Yeah. Meyer was so Meyer, four, Lawler six. Yeah, so Lawler, and we, we joked about this on the call-up, actually. I was like, there were five different guys in that draft class that were supposed to be number one. And then it ended up being the sixth guy, which was Henry Davis. Like, it just, it, it, that was one of those draft classes. And uh, yeah, Lawler and Meyer are always going to be stacked together. But, but what really stood out with Lawler this year is, you know, we knew how athletic he could be. But to see the athleticism immediately translate was pretty amazing. I mean, we're talking about a guy that stole 39 bases on like 45 tries, but also was able to launch 
17 home runs across three levels, walked a lot, and kept the strikeouts somewhat in check. The defense was amazing as well. I mean, this guy was one of the most dynamic players in the minors. And, uh, you know, I think any other position, he's probably first-teamer. But I got to say, guys, if we're going on name value, you're right. But this guy with the Toronto Blue Jays, Addison Barger, again, another dude I've never heard of, but I think I got his name right. You did. His year compares just as much as these two guys. He must be a high riser in some rankings. He has to be. I mean, look at that year. Yeah, I mean, Barger, you can talk to talk about it, Jack, because like that was a late addition. Uh, as I scroll down to Barger's stats, like, this was a late addition because I floated it to Jack, and I was like, wait a second. You got to see this guy, Addison Barger, stats with the Blue Jays. Like, he's disgusting and might have to be a serious consideration here. And once Jack saw the stats, he's like, okay, I think we got to put this guy in. He just homered again in the Arizona Fall League yesterday, by the way. Uh, Barger's right on the cusp of being a top 100 prospect. Uh, what stood out to you the most, Jack, with when you looked at Barger's stats, as I just pulled him up here? Yeah, with Barger, I mean, it was 59 extra base hits and 91 RBIs from a shortstop. Like, insane and, and this guy climbed to triple a which is stupidly impressive um yeah I, christian was was very high on addison barger too he was like oh we we gotta incorporate him somewhere and uh shortstop is the most loaded position in minor league baseball i think like we moved <laughs> arguably the best shortstop in minor league baseball to a dh spot which we'll get to soon but um yeah i mean barger like needed a spot here because not only do you have 59 extra base hits but you also hit 308. A very, very, very impressive for a guy that, uh, you know, might be the replacement for what the Blue Jays wanted out of Jordan Groshans. And, and who yep. knows what's going to happen at second base, right? Bichette looks great again. Kevin Biggio, no. So <laughs> is it Espinal or yeah. is Espinal it lit. Varger? Var- Varger's got a big part of the future now, I think. Moving on to third base. Um, third base, it's just like, if you're a twins fan, you have to be so upset. Spencer Steer and Christian and Carnacion Strand go over for <laughs> Tyler Malley as a, as a twins fan, you got to be thinking, well, we went for it and we finished 77 and 84. And now Steer is in the bigs looking like. He has some of the best plate discipline of any rookie. And Christian Encarnacion Strand makes the first team all third base <laughs> list on this. Like, Arm, when you heard that trade go down, was it instant to you? Wow, that trade is going to work out so much better for the Reds. Or when Encarnacion Strand came over and when Steer came over, did their production maybe outperform what you might have thought it would? Honestly, man, I was surprised that they got that the Twins were willing to give up both of those guys. You know, I, I figure you, you you look at Spencer Steer, maybe they felt like they were selling high on him. But I, I felt like when you're trading Christian Encarnacion Strand, who you look at what he was doing offensively, not only was he consistent, he was hitting home runs 480 plus feet. I think he had 12 home runs over 450 feet this year. Like the power was very evident. Uh, the bat to ball skills were were pretty evident. I was shocked that they would trade two of their best performers in the same deal. And, and they threw in more guys too. Steven Hadjar is not a bad prospect either, uh, a pitching prospect that should be pretty solid. I was surprised they gave up that much. Even if Maui was good for them and healthy, 
it, it was it was definitely a surprising move uh, to see the Twins give up two of their best performing bats. And Encarnacion's trend was just comically good this year. 32 homers, 114 driven in, hit 304. Hey, that's insane. Jack, two dudes who rake, second team and third team. Brett Beatty coming in with the New York Mets and Casey Schmidt with the San Francisco Giants. Did you only pick Brett Beatty because he's a little bit more handsome? Uh, no, I think Casey Schmidt's actually a little bit more handsome. He is handsome. He was a guest on the call-up. Great, wow. great guy, very handsome. Yeah, wow. Schmidt, Schmidt's arms guy. Um, Beatty is kind of everybody's guy now because of what he did in double. And it was like less of a cup of coffee in triple than it was in Major League Baseball before thumb surgery at the end of yeah. the year. He was so good in double. So they move him up to triple. He plays six games and the Mets were like, you know what? Yeah, he's ready. Let's do it. No point in wasting time anymore. And, and that was what we were waiting for, for Brett Beatty, I think. Beatty's been a name that I think Mets fans have, have always said, like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll wait for Brett Beatty. They're done waiting now. And he kind of forced the Mets' hands with, with what he did in Binghamton this year. And I got to say, Giants fans have to be very excited. We're talking about Casey, Casey Schmidt, third-base prospect for them. You can definitely go check out that interview on the YouTube or on the call-up podcast hosted by Arm. Von Brown, an outfielder. I'm just going to go through all three of these guys. And then you got Asturi Ruiz with the Milwaukee Brewers. And then, of course, you got Corbin Carroll, who's just a freakazoid. And in his last game, he hit one 106 miles an hour, just showcasing those exit velos as well as that 80-grade speed. But And forgive me if I'm wrong. I assume it's Vaughn. could just not be. It's V-A-U-N. Vaughn. No, it's Vaughn. Vaughn Brown. That's actually even cooler. This guy's year, when I'm looking at the statistics – there are few players in minor league baseball. Like this guy's year competes with Andy Rodriguez. You're talking about 44 bags with 20 plus home runs, hitting 346 and slugging 623. Or why didn't this guy win minor league hitter of the year? It's funny. We were talking about this actually. And the, the only reason is for whatever reason, he was 23 and then now 24 and started the season in low A, which look, you can only play the competition that you face, right? It's not his fault, but um, you know, I, I just would have liked to have seen him be more challenged competition wise. That said, uh, these numbers are impressive if he was playing in the little league world series. So, I mean, th this was an insane year from him. Like you said, 346, 437, 625 with 44 bags is a joke. Uh, and I mean, it's a really good year for the underrated prospects in the giant system, a really bad year for the higher regarded prospects like Marco Luciano, Luis Matos and, and those types of guys. So weird year in the giant system, but really exciting to see Vaughn Brown and Casey Schmidt do what they did this year. Can I just say five year D two guy, Vaughn Brown, five year D two guy. Holy Unbelievable. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Five year D two guy. Good for him. Yeah. Hell yeah. If you're a college baseball player playing D2, don't ever think that the, it's over. Because look at Vaun Brown. Vaun, <laughs> are you kidding me? Moving on, it's Ruiz who got traded in that Josh Hader deal and stole 85 bases <laughs> in the minor leagues. But the only thing that you could take away from him, he had 99 attempts. I mean, every single <laughs> time this dude got on first base, he was trying to steal. Uh, but he didn't strike out that much, had plenty of doubles, didn't have a ton of power, but 16 home runs is still very, very solid. Hit 332. Asturi Ruiz, I mean, he didn't play all that well when he got called up to the bigs, but he still is really, really young. I don't know what to make of this guy, Jack. 
of Neither history. Do we. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to make of him. I don't know what to make of him. What do you want to make of him? I don't know. I don't know what he's going to be like. Is he going to hit at the big league level? I, those stats are those stats are gaudy and they look great, but is this going to be one of those guys who struggles to get on first base? They look so good. Yeah, they those, do. Those stats well, look so good. have seen guys like this in the minor leagues before. Then they don't hit in the major leagues. Like, Do you guys think he's really going to hit in the major leagues? I don't think he's Billy Hamilton. Okay. Um, but I don't think that he's a transcendent hit 330 with a 447 yeah. OBP and swipe a billion bases. I don't think he's Ricky Henderson. I don't think he's Billy Hamilton. I think he's somewhere in between. That's bullshit. <laughs> Arm, you give me a better answer than what Jack just spewed out of his Dude, it, it's, it's funny, though. I will say this is one of the few guys where I'm like, I have no fucking clue. Because right? he, was, he was horrible before this year. Made some adjustments. Looks way better. I think at the very least, he's a, he's a fourth outfielder with crazy speed that can steal a ton of bags. Uh, but I do think he's going to be an above average big leaguer who is going to be one of the best you know, base stealers. I, I think the bat's going to translate ultimately. I do. Corbin Carroll, I'm kind of uh, – I don't like his year that much. Um, <laughs> he only had 24 bombs, barely stole 30 bags, barely hit 300. Um, you know, there's going to be a bust out of the top 100 and it feels like it's him. Like, I feel like you just ranked him high because he's fast. Is that true? Yeah, I, it was. It's actually just speed rankings. If you look at it, it has not. There's no other consideration. And he is an 80 grade runner. I will say you saw that MLB video they put out of him running on the triple. Aside from the fact that his eyes looked really scary and weird. Uh, he that was the most incredible base running I've ever seen. Like the way he cuts the corners, the way he runs, he's going to lead the league in triples next year. I'll bet my life on it. He had eight this year, uh, 24 homers. Again, you talk about the exit belows. He hit his fifth home run in the big leagues, right? Was it fourth or fifth in the big leagues yesterday? Fourth. fourth. I mean, he's, he's got way more power than people think hitter friendly environment is worth noting. I don't think it matters. So I think he's a 20 to 25 home run threat annually. Fine. I guess he's pretty good besides just being fast. <laughs> the the real reason that we're even having this entire podcast is just to talk about Ellie De La Cruz. Yes. Um, you guys put him at the DH, kind of a coward move, but it's okay. Yeah. We'll go with it. Major um, coward move. Major coward move. Um, almost slugged 600, hit above 328 bombs. And this is just the craziest part to me. Uh, how tall is he? What is he? 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", stealing 47 bags in 53 attempts. <laughs> this guy is an alien. Like Reds yeah. fans have to be just licking their chops reading this article at the moment with Encarnacion Strand on there and then Ellie De La Cruz all on the first team. Why were you guys cowards and why'd you put him at DH when he could have played shortstop, Arm? And then we would have had De La Cruz as the number one prospect. Again, coward. Because uh, then we would have <laughs> had to play Gunner a t- second team and then it, yeah. it, 100% we we had a, a conversation of what's the easiest way that we can like not not get people to yell at us and this was the easiest way uh there's so many talented players it was so hard to peg it all but Ellie De La Cruz so I I put out an article recently the best tools in the top 100 and Ellie De La Cruz had the best raw power he, he had a home run 512 feet this year by the way he had top three speed and a a top five arm uh, this guy stole 47 bags, like you mentioned, hit 28 home runs and 60 extra base hits, more than six extra base hits. And he is a switch hitter. This is the alien of all aliens. If he can put it together consistency wise, I mean, this guy could win MVPs. I'm so excited. When do you think he's going to get the call up? Like, when do you think he'll be ready, Jack? 
Um, because you called him the best player that's currently not on a big league roster. You said that yes. with your mouth. I said that with my mouth. I promise. I I remember it with my brain. Uh, yeah, I think he's up at the end of next year. Yeah, I agree. He was too good across like high. He was way too good in high A. He gets to double A and he hits a 500 foot nuke. He's going to start the year in double. Maybe where do you think he starts next year? Arm? I think he, he very well could start in triple. Um, I, I think there's a good chance he starts in trip. Yeah. Like, okay. So end of next year, I'm saying August one of next year. Also, yeah. I was scrolling for so long to try and find this video before we got too far off of Corbin Carroll. And I got it. Can you make this like the main screen? This is him doing the dap up. And I just needed to get this out there. Hold on. We got the hugs. Yeah. Let's watch okay. this. Ah. Ah. Come on. Where's the daps? You lost the daps already? No, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Uh, for all of our YouTube folk. I mean, it's one of the most, what's oh. going on? That's not, That's not good. is this the dap up video? <laughs> no. Prospect arm. This is so tough. I'm so underwhelmed. I'm you don't like a hug? Either. What's wrong with a hug when you get called no, up? No, the hugs are fine. It, there was just a really weird dap video when he got his call up. Well, thanks for interrupting when I was about to talk about the difference between Kerry Carpenter and Ellie De La Cruz and how they okay. match up because Kerry Carpenter is the second team DH and they couldn't be more different. But <laughs> at the same time, when you look at the stats, like Kerry Carpenter had an unreal year and then debuted for the Tigers and looked better than Riley Green looked better than Spencer Torkelson. Like Kerry Carpenter, I think they found a guy in their lineup that they can rely on now for a long time, right? One of the few guys that is actually hitting their system uh, as of late. You know, this was a horrible year for them top to bottom. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of frustration with a lot of their top prospects offensively. And you know, Kerry Carpenter was one of the best hitters in the minor leagues. And I, I got specific texts from certain minor leaguers too that that played against Carpenter and just, it's one simple sentence from one of the other best hitters in the minor leagues that just said to me, Carrie Carpenter rakes, period. That's it. <laughs> just out of nowhere. I just get that text from a guy who was raking in his own respect, just Carrie Carpenter rakes, period. And, and that's where, like, when guys really admire other other players like that, usually, you know, they're, they're for real. And, and I think Carrie Carpenter does rake. That guy just barrels everything. Okay, so moving on to the pitching side. I know ERA is in everything, of course. But when you look at the pitchers you guys listed, and that's Brandon Fott with the Arizona Diamondbacks, that's Andrew Painter with the Phillies, um, that is Gavin Stone with the Los Angeles Dodgers, that's Ricky Tiedemann with the Blue Jays, and Kyle Harrison with the Giants. All good picks. But when you look at Brandon Fott's year, a 3-8-3 ERA, why did this guy make the top five overall pitchers in the minor leagues? You have to adjust how you view ERA in the Pacific Coast League. And That's in why I'm asking. Texas League. Look at this. Look at this. That was a layup. That was Dwayne Wade to LeBron. Dunk on me. Yeah, that was sick. Yeah, That was, that was more Chris Paul than Rubio. I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, that was Chris Paul. No, I mean, like, you, you have to factor in what kind of environment Brandon Fott's throwing in. And I'm not sure how many people have been keeping tabs on the Arizona Diamondbacks, but Dre Jameson had a stretch of some incredible starts. After a having six, a six ERA. He yeah. had a six ERA in Reno. I, I wouldn't worry about ERA in the Pacific Coast League. And if you have a good one, it means you're a really, really, really good pitcher. Gavin Stone had a great ERA in the Pacific Coast League through six starts. That's why Stone is... 
He's what on our second team, right? Yeah, he's on the first team. No, first isn't he? team, first team. Stone's on the first team. Yeah, Stone might be on the first team. Um, but like Fott, three eight three is still really impressive between Amarillo and Reno, which is both like playing in zero gravity. And the look at the strikeouts that, to walks. Yeah, the thing that jumps out with Fott, one hundred and sixty seven innings led minor league baseball in innings pitch. That matters. Uh, and 218 strikeouts is the most is it's the first 200 strikeout season in minor league baseball since 2011. Wow. So you you got to factor that in. If you're on the hill all the time, you're striking out a bunch of guys and you have a serviceable ERA playing in a place that's harder to play in than Coors Field. You had a really, really good year. It's kind of like if Herman Marquez ever leaves Coors, right? Except it's like if Herman Marquez was really good. Yeah, no, it's like if Ramon Marquez led the league in strikeouts, had the least amount of walks, but ended up having like a three five ERA, you'd call that one of the best years in the big league. Yeah, we'd be like Except that guy. Ramon Marquez can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be calling him top twenty, top ten. Uh, can we just talk about Gavin Stone because we've talked about Kyle Harrison, we've talked about Ricky Tiedemann, we've talked about Andrew Painter, who is the minor league pitcher of the year. This guy kind of came out of nowhere and put yeah. up a 1.48 ERA if we're talking about really high strikeouts, really low walks. And everybody's talking about Bobby Miller in the Dodgers system as one of the best overall pitchers. But Gavin Stone, we Dustin wrote an article about him, I yeah. think, in June. Yeah. And and then I know Michael Schwimmer, who is the head of Big League Advance, he said, if you're not focusing on, on Gavin Stone, what are you doing? And you Big guys League. have been focusing on Gavin Stone. Big league advantage. Is it big they league advantage? They rebranded. Wow. Shout out you, Michael Schwimmer. Big league advantage. Yeah, Figure it out, me. That's a Rubio moment. Back to being Chris Paul. Yeah. Total Rubio. That's a turnover. You, you just, no, that's you a just Frank Nilakina moment. Let's be frank. <laughs> that's a Frank Nilakina. Fuck Frank Nilakina. I don't even want to hear that name ever mentioned again on this podcast. Gavin Stone, talk to me about him. Yeah. I mean, Dustin, we it's so funny, dude. We just talked about. Gavin Stone on the call up because we were in that range of the top 100, and we were just talking about Dustin's write up on him and, and how how good it was. Gavin Stone is one of the best changeups you're going to find in the minor leagues. He threw it 38 percent of the time and held opponents to like a 400 uh, OPS on that pitch. Struck out guys at like a 50 percent clip on that pitch. Like it is ridiculous. Fastball has crazy life. Uh, 121 and two thirds innings of 1480 ERA is a joke. I mean, the, the amount of strikeouts that this guy's been able to rack up. If it weren't for Andrew Painter, Gavin Stone's our minor league pitcher of the year. Wow. Who else? So now we're through basically all the positions so far. Who have we not mentioned? Maybe he's on a third team, maybe just some guy that we didn't get to that you really, really want to talk about and highlight this guy's year. Will Brennan. <laughs> <I love laughs> there you go. Him. I love Will Brennan. I mean, dude, 129 games between double and triple hit 314. The thing that jumped out because Will Brennan has always done that uh, slugged 479, hit 40 doubles and he had over a hundred RBIs as a table setter as like Will Brennan is a leadoff guy or a two hitter. And the fact that he was 20 for 23 in the stolen base department Never struck out, or K rate under 12%, and had 40 doubles and 107 RBIs. This is one of the better minor league seasons that we've seen in, in some time. Aram, who was your guy who you really wanted to talk about, and can it be Taj Bradley? <laughs> Taj Bradley is is one of them. I, I really like what we saw from him, but but my number one guy I want to talk about is Tink Hens. Um, This guy's gross. <laughs> he is athletic. He is 
going to be a pitching ninja favorite once he gets a little bit more exposure. For whatever reason, the Cardinals decided to keep Tank Hens in low A. They didn't stretch him out too much, so he only threw 52 and a third innings. He's in the fall league right now to get more innings under his belt. But in those 52 and a third innings, he punched out 81 and walked just 15, a .88 whip. Nobody hit the ball hard off of him. A 1.3 ERA is insane. He's an athletic specimen on the mound with the way he's able to repeat his mechanics. Fastball explodes out of his hand. Disgusting breaking ball. Already has a feel for the changeup. Tink Hens is not that tall at about 6'1". Wiry strong, but just so athletic. It's so fun to watch him go, and his arm speed's off the charts. Mine would be Taj Bradley. I think he, you know, once a couple of these guys graduate, I think he'll be up there with the likes of Andrew Painter. Um, I mean, I saw him at the Futures game, and the life on his fastball mm-hmm. is so electric. I mean, maybe he didn't strike out as many guys as you might like, but the walks are certainly good at 2.57 ERA, and he's just with the Rays. It's like these guys that I tend to trust, and especially when I see it firsthand, he was as electric as any pitcher that I've really seen. Like, I'm just so excited for this guy. And he was ranked really high in the top 100. Yeah. Like, Arm, you must love him. He's another freak athlete on the bump. Uh, and 21 years old to reach triple a and do what he did. I mean, was, was really impressive fastball. We have a 70 grade on, so, you know, definitely agree with you there. And it's funny that you like him because he's very similar to Shane Boz. We just talked about that on the call up and fastball slider. If he gets the split finger going, that's the third pitch he needs right now. If that split finger is average, even just average, it's over. Like he's going to be a frontline dude. So I'm excited to see how the Rays handle him next year, but this guy's really, really talented. But it's mid nineties, like you wrote in the article. But it's it's it has it, it must has have crazy vertical movement. I mean, it yeah, just it does flies. It flies through the zone. It almost looks like if he just threw the fastball, he could have a four ERA in the bigs. Like just <laughs> it was a fastball. He just he gives this he gives the yeah. work to the catcher. He's just like fastball. He just hums it in there, and it's not like it's a hundred, but it probably looks one hundred two when you're in the box. Oh, absolutely it, does. It just has that. That kind I of talked noise. to like, I could hear it from the second row at Dodger Stadium. It was crazy. No, it's funny. Last thing I'll say, I talked to that was one of the few times where post game I texted, you know, my buddy Griffin uh, and, and was like, hey, you know, what was that fastball like? And he was like, first one, I was like, OK, you better not blink. You know, like it's, it's one of those where you step in, you get the VLO readings. So you're like, OK, it's 94 to 96, whatever. You step in there and he's like, it was not 94 to 96. It is not. Uh, and that's why the VLO readings and the scouting reports only help you so much. And that was actually opened up a conversation where we ended up talking about how important the spin rates and vertical break is in their scouting reports because the VLO gave him shit, basically, was what he was saying. <laughs> it didn't tell him anything. And I totally agree with you. I think the fastball slider is good enough to be a really good pitcher in this league, even if he never develops another third pitch. We've seen two-pitch guys do it like this. Like maybe just a see you later change up or – how you do in splitter would definitely help, but I think this guy can make it on those two pitches because that that combination is so elite. But I think it's time to predict the MLB playoffs, gentlemen, or at least it's time to predict game one in the wild cards because we got Rays, we got Guardians, and it is Shane McClanahan taking on Shane Bieber. We can look at this kind of through a gambling lens, um, but just something that I want to bring up first because, you know, you want to to – to maybe tail teams that have really good momentum moving into the playoffs. So Cleveland stats who have become my favorite Twitter follow it's at Clee underscore stats, Cleveland stats on Twitter. They just put out a bunch of Cal Quantrill propaganda. And like, 
I keep commenting under his thing. I'm like, you're my favorite Twitter account. And like he follows me. I, I don't know if it's a he or she, whoever's running this account is phenomenal. That's um, sick so, they follow you. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> you know, everyone follows me now. Um, Oh, oh, last 30 games of the season, win-loss record, Cleveland 24 and 6 in their last 30 games. Houston 21 and 9, Braves 20 and 10, Dodgers 20 and 10, Yankees 20 and 10, Toronto Blue Jays 19 and 11, Mets 17 and 13, Cardinals 16 and 14, Padres 16 and 14, Seattle 16 and 14, Philly 14 and 16, and the Rays 12 and 18. So in terms of momentum moving into the playoffs, while you do have Shane McClanahan, I can't lie, guys, more likely than not, and you'll hear my picks, um, it's actually available this morning. I really want to go more into the data and really figure out who I want to bet on a gambling sense. But I got to say, I am definitely leaning Guardians money line. I, I have to be leaving Guardians money line. I'm minus 120 with Shane Bieber, guys. The only thing I will say is that the Cleveland Guardians – have a better OPS against left-handed pitching than the Oakland A's, the Miami Marlins, and that's it. A okay. 646 OPS against left-handed pitching for Cleveland. You're right. Over the full season, you are correct. But they have I been know. better lately. They put up five runs against Daniel Lynch. And if we look at the last 30 days since September 6th to October 6th, they have a 103 WRC plus as a team and the fifth lowest strikeout rate against lefties. As a team, they're slashing 288, 330, 389. Like, remember, Stephen Kwan was not the leadoff hitter at the beginning of the year. Like, you know, Ahmed Rosario has been better against lefties. No, Oscar so Gonzalez. No, Oscar Gonzalez is another one. Like, this is a better team against lefties than they showed at the beginning of the season. They were dog shit against lefties, no doubt about it. I was fading them against lefties, except when Quantrill was on the mound. But they have been better against lefties. And Shane McClanahan has not looked very good in the second half, has still been dealing with injuries. Like, does, does the lefty concerns, because also... You know, the Rays have a phenomenal bullpen. If Shane McClanahan gets into a little bit of trouble here, you're going to have the Rays bullpen. So even maybe the lefty splits may not make that much of a difference. My my big thing, honestly, I'm not that worried about, you know, the Rays pitching. Uh, I, I'm not really worried about... My big concern is I just don't think they're going to be able to hit the Guardians whatsoever. Like, I just don't see how the Rays are going to score, period. That That's that's my big concern, and that's why I think ultimately the Guardians are going to take care of business. Is you look at what the Guardians have done over the last 30 days, a 2-7-3 ERA. Uh, you talk about the, the matchups and things like that as well, but I just don't think the Rays' offense is going to, is going to muster up much. I don't think the Guardians have to do much. Uh, to really be able to beat this race team. They score a couple of runs. That might be all they need, especially with the way that the, the Guardians have looked both in the bullpen and in the starting rotation. The, their ERA is the fourth best in Major League Baseball over the last 30 days behind only the Dodgers, somehow the Cubs, and the Astros. And I, I just think that they're going to they're gonna keep the Rays offense in check. I, I think the Rays are going to really struggle to score. And also, when you do the split leaderboards and you get the Guardians at home, everything ticks up for them. And with the Rays, they have not been a very good road team. What if I told you that on the road this year, they are a 500 team on the road? Not very good. Cleveland, very good at home. And the Rays ranked 24th in WRC Plus against righties in the last 30 days with an 85 WRC Plus. 
are you leaning Rays here, Chuck? I mean, every single time I give a stat, you give me the, uh, oh, really nice stat, idiot. No, I just can't get over the fact that you said everybody follows you now. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so hung up on that right now. He's got like 11,000 followers. followers on Twitter. If that's what you're hung up on, get over it. Let's it's talk crazy. some balls. Okay. Uh, no, I'm saying Guardians because since the All-Star break, Shane Bieber has a 2-4 ERA. Shane McClanahan has a 4-2 ERA. Simple as that. One is a lot better than the other right now. Guardians minus 120. We're rolling yeah. with it, gentlemen. Yeah. Also, I talked about some series prices too. Guardian series price, minus 120 to win the whole series. Yeah. You like that too? I love that. Huh? I yes. love that. Should we move on to the next game? Or yeah. Jack, are you over my uh, comment earlier? Or- I'm yeah. over it now. It was a little bit. Condes- not condescending, but just kind of braggy, but no, for no reason. Whatever. I mean, he has a K next to his follower. Total. That's the sickest thing you can have. Honestly, Jack, yeah. You don't talk to me for the rest of this episode unless you get a K next year. <laughs> Billy's Cardinals. Oh, oh, you just made it worse. Now now you lost me. I was in your corner. Yeah. You lost me. I was, I was, uh, let's get past it. Philly's Cardinals, the line is even currently. Um, starts at 207. Um, we're going to get Jose Quintana versus Miles Michaelis. No, excuse me. We're going to get Jose Quintana versus Zach Wheeler. It was up in the air whether it was going to be Quintana or Michaelis, but I think they are starting. Quintana. I got to say, guys, yeah, it is Quintana. I'm pretty in between. I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking on this one. Oh, you go first. <laughs> Quintana might – we talked about this on the other episode. Quintana might be the guy you trust the most right out of this rotation, Jack, right now? Yeah. Yes. Here's, How do you here's feel about him against Wheeler? Then I'm throwing it right back at you. Um, I so here's the thing: like with with all of my stock being put into the starting pitching matchup in in Game One in Tampa, Cleveland, I am placing very little stock for some reason into the starting pitching matchup in this game at Bush Stadium, and I, and for some reason that's the thing that that rings the loudest in my head. Like it's in St. Louis. And I don't really care who's on the hill as long as they're good. And Michaelis, Quintana, Wainwright, whoever it might be, I'm just siding with St. Louis here. Like, I I don't know. For some reason, I, I think they're just going to hit enough. And Bush Stadium is going to provide this magic, man. I mean, that is, that's a plum pick, a la Peter. I'm with, I'm with you, Jack. I, I'm going to side most likely with the Cardinals here. If we're looking at, like, Phillies, you know um, – how they've done against lefties. They have about 100 WRC plus in the last 30 days versus the Cardinals have around a 96 WRC plus against righties. But something that I notice is that Wheeler gets a lot of his outs on strikeouts. I mean, he's just a really good pitcher, but he relies on the strikeout and the Cardinals have one of the lowest walk rates in that span. So while they're not, you know, getting lucky, I guess, with um, the ball placement of how it comes off the bat, they aren't striking out, which bodes well for the Cardinals. The Phillies have been a very bad road team this season, 40 and 41 on the road, kind of similar to the Rays, but a little bit worse. I would side with the Cardinals in this matchup. And while I think we're getting a slight discount on the line because you have a guy like Zach Wheeler, but the Phillies bullpen 
it it ha- it wasn't very good at the beginning of the season. Then it went, had a really really good stretch, and then it is kind of been falling off lately. David Robertson, Sir Anthony Dominguez have not been as good as they were earlier in the year. I think this is going to be one of those close games. I actually wouldn't be surprised if it goes under. I think Quintana turns in a very nice start here, and it's hard to find a better home team than the Cardinals have been this year, going fifty three and twenty eight. Cardinals Bush Stadium game one. They, the only edge, in my opinion, that the Phillies have is Wheeler's name value. That's not enough for me to go with the Phillies here. I think the Cardinals win this one outright. Yeah. You know what Quintana's done at Bush since the trade? Been or unhittable. This season alone, he's been unhittable. A 186 ERA in five starts at Bush, 29 innings. is literally has a .86 whip. This guy's been unhittable at Bush. I think he's going to keep it going now. I actually feel I feel pretty good about it. Cardinals money line minus one ten. Do you guys feel more confident about that one or the Guardians one? Because the more we talk about it, the Cardinals. more I like the Cardinals. I like Cardinals more than I like Guardians. Cardinals, yeah. I think there's more of a separation in the entire team. The only thing that holds me back is Wheeler. But if you get over the name value there and look at what Quintana's done at Bush, look at what he's just been in the, so far this season overall. Yeah, I mean, once once you get past that, uh, it really is not really close between those two teams, especially right. when you Jose, get the home field advantage. Jose Quintana has to be one of the most stressful watches for Cardinals fans, <laughs> and I, like I, I love him. You know, I love him. You know, I, I love watching him throw. But I mean, he is playing with fire constantly because it's eighty nine on the corner. Imagine if he misses with. 89 on a clothesline, just down the dick. He's screwed, man. He hasn't, I mean, missed. he hasn't missed all year. He was great with the Pirates. He's been better with the Cardinals. I'm in on Jose Quintana, man. Uh, but this next game, under anything, take both strikeout totals. Here's, here's where I think you may be wrong, Jack. And oh. the only reason I'm saying this is when I was queuing up the stats, because I was leaning the same thing you were. I was thinking, this is a 3-2 to two game. I'm not exactly sure who's going to win, but these offenses lately against righties, Toronto is number one in Major League Baseball in the last 30 days in WRC Plus at 134, and they're not striking out at all. Then you look at Seattle walking a ton, highest walk rate in baseball in that span against righties with a 119 WRC Plus. These offenses rolling into this game, especially against righties, have been so hot that it honestly scares me. But then you look at the bullpens, how dominant they've been, especially on the Blue Jays side. I think the Blue Jays bullpen has been very solid too. Both teams are hot rolling into this one. I would not touch the total. I think this could possibly go over, even though both of these starting pitchers are so nasty. But I really, I think this one is so tough because if we're just talking about a, you know, in the, in the gambling sense, the line opened around minus 145, minus 150, and has gone down. Minus 135 now is where you can get the Blue Jays. I'm stumped on this game. The same way I was stumped by Blue Jays Mariners in the in the series price. I genuinely have no idea who's going to win. Blue Jays or Mariners. Like, do you guys have a better read on this game? Because I lean towards the Blue Jays, but it's like the Blue Jays have been much better at home this year, but the Mariners are still a good road team. And the Mariners as an underdog have been one of baseball's most profitable. And the Blue Jays as a favorite this year went 53 and 80. I mean, when they were favored, they were just not profitable at all. This is easily the hardest game on the slate for me. Easily the hardest. But it's the best game. Easily. 
That's why it's hard. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, that's what makes it the best. I I will say Luis Castillo has struggled a little bit over his last five starts relative to to what we've seen from him. You know, in in a Mariners uniform, you talk about all those other trends that kind of back that. I, I think the Blue Jays get Game One, uh, and and again, I really trust Manoa on the, on the big in the big game. And then I think ultimately we're going to see the Mariners get the next two. That's my prediction. But I, I do I do like the Blue Jays. If we have to pick one in game one, I, I just the, – with the way the trends are going and big game Manoa, that's kind of my gut feeling there. I, I think the Jays take game one. And, Jack, after you heard those numbers, like sometimes in playoff baseball you can throw the numbers out the window. Like sometimes we have to make a statistical argument other than just our plums. Yeah. But, like, what are you thinking for this game? Do you still like the under after hearing that? Well, you know, I throw numbers out the window at any chance I get. I, yeah. I think numbers are stupid as a whole. I, I think that we should just watch the game with our eyes and that's it. And batting average should not exist. Um, I just say Jay's money line because I like, I'm obviously not going to do it, but um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm looking so forward to this dude off. I, I'm looking forward to Luis Castillo handing the ball to Alec Manoa and saying, fuck you, you're next. And Manoa, <laughs> like Manoa tossing a one, two, three inning and then handing the ball to Luis Castillo saying, fuck you. Now you go again. Like th- that type of thing. It's <sighs> because I... also with the Mariners offense, like in the last 30 days, J-Rod has come back more recently than that. So this offense even gets better than those stats said. Like, yeah. I, I my thought say, I is like over. No, no. But, for example, we're going to get to the next game, and that total is six with Darvish Scherzer. Is this one at seven that much better of a pitching matchup? Why is it at seven? I think it's a better pitching matchup. Than Darvish Scherzer? I think this is a better pitching matchup. I can't say that. Castillo is great. I don't think he's on the level of Scherzer, at least. I mean, you could say... You know, Castillo's he might be on Darvish's level. No, I think he is on Darvish's level. I think sure. Cast. I would. I'm. I think Castillo and Manoa are, are above Darvish. Yeah, I think you would probably rank them: Scherzer, Manoa, Castillo, Darvish. Yes. Yeah. So then, why is it at seven when the other one is at six? That's why I'm so confused. I almost think this is like a trap towards the under, but it might just make sense that it goes under because. Two of these pitchers are elite. You got the Mariners bullpen that's awesome. And you have a Mariners offense that is good, not great, but has been good recently. It, it's putting my head in a blender. So yeah. you got Mariners offense that's good and has been good recently. You've got Jay's offense that's great. Think about the Mets and Padres lineups right now. Like there are glaring issues with the Mets and the Padres lineup right now. So it, the if you were to mean out the two starting pitchers in each game, I think that Manoa Castillo is slightly better than Scherzer Darvish, but the collective offenses, if you were to average the two offenses, I think the Jays Mariners as a collective is a better offensive game, like much better offensive game than Padres Mets at this point. And when you consider you Darvish's dominance against the Mets, and then you have Max Scherzer pitching at home with a one six seven ERA at home this year. Yeah, I, I get it. And that, and- yeah. I would say I think he takes care of the Padres. I just don't trust that lineup at all. Yeah, I, I think at anytime all. a good pitcher is going against the Padres, it's it's going to be trouble for them. Um, and and that's why it's it's I'm I'm really interested to see how it goes because I do get your your 
like understand your perspective on picking the Padres to upset them. I just, I, I'm so concerned about the lineup and I could see Max Scherzer just making quick work of them. And then we're like, Oh yeah, there go the Padres again. That was quick. But here is my concern about the Mets offense. And this is why this game might end two to one is because if you can find the Mets father, his name is you Darvish 14 innings, six hits, one earned run this season and plenty of strikeouts. And this isn't just this season. This dates back and back and back. You Darvish has owned the New York Mets. And while Darvish has had problems ish on the road, it hasn't been as extensive as in previous years. He's actually had a lot of really, really good road starts. But if we look at Max Scherzer against the Padres this year, six innings, five hits, two earned, like they could hit him. It's not impossible. While I do think that the Mets have a very good shot at winning here, this is my first upset, I think. Like, I would way rather pick the Padres here than pick the Mariners. And I feel like the Padres at this price is the best value that we're going to get of any of these playoff games. And the Padres have much of a shot to beat the Mets as any of these teams have of beating anybody, especially in this game. I know you have met, but that's the reason why, is that like, I love the Padres here, but what am I going to do, bet against Max Scherzer at home? No. And that feels like I'm putting money in a paper shredder. It's like when Peter Griffin goes to the the when he goes to Vegas and they ask, "Do you want to bet on a team?" and he says, "Nope, just take my money." Yes. Like that's what it feels like betting on the Padres in this spot, but I got to say I love you Darvish. So I don't know where to go with this one. Where are you guys leaning? So, Aram's a SpongeBob guy, you're a Family Guy guy. Uh it's it's good to know. I've got my two shows covered. Um I go Mets because it's Max Scherzer in Queens. Simple as that. But for the value, let's say in a gambling sense, because yes, but like, would you lay minus 155 with the Mets? Like, yeah, because I think the Mets are going to win. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. But it's going to be super low scoring. That's why the total is I, so low. Like, I just don't think there's any value there with the Mets. No, from a betting standpoint, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, from the perspective of just, you know, who I'm going to side with. And when I have to pick one, I'm going to take the hall of famer, you know, and I know it's like very, you know, you got a bunch of TikTok comments because you said like some similar things on, you know, your predictions and people are like, Oh, they're really bold. Well, sometimes the answer is right in front of you and it's right. Uh, And I think, you know, betting on Max Scherzer to rise to the occasion, if it was a tough lineup, I'd be a little concerned because, you know, I think both Scherzer and DeGrom have shown some vulnerabilities this year as they age, but I really don't trust this Padres lineup, and I think that Scherzer is going to pick them apart. I really think he will. And to I your do guys think Darvish is a good start, though. And to your guys' point, too, if we're talking about really good offenses um, in the past 30 days against righties, the Mets are three in all of baseball. 129 WRC plus from that Mets offense, and while the Padres have a 97 WRC plus against oh. righties. But they could just get you Darvish. That's why I kind of lean the under even at six. It's just so low in a baseball game arm. We've talked about that before. Whenever you see six, six and a half lines, they just go over. I know this is a game that I just don't want to touch. I'm fine. I already bet plus 150 on the Padres series price. I'd rather get that line because I feel like this specific game is so important. If the Padres can go up one and then you have Blake Snell against the Mets, who Blake Snell has also dominated them, the Padres can win this series, but most likely DeGrom is going to go to game two. This is a real tough one, gentlemen, real tough. But I think we're all kind of decided, right? 
We like the Cardinals a lot, and we like the Guardians a lot. We're all pretty split on Blue Jays, Mariners. Not exactly sure where to go there, and we're not going to touch Mets, Padres. We're just going to watch it like regular people and just just watch it like baseball. Just, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Just leave it and enjoy it. It's going to be freaking awesome, and it starts at noon today. <laughs> starts at noon today. So that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Make sure you use o- code October. 15 in order to get 15% off just baseball merch that is in our episode description helps us out a ton if you guys go get some merch and use that code october 15 in order to get 15% off of course go check out nfl week five picks those are live on not gambling advice if you're into football as well as all of my picks that are live right now on friday for these wild card picks you probably already heard them i don't think i'm going to change much that's probably where I'll be sitting, as well as Arm and Jack are still covering the top 100 on the call-ups. So if you want more prospect stuff, definitely go check out that podcast. And with that, thank you, everybody. <laughs>